Uh, it's good to be here again after a long time, and I hope and trust that uh, we, we've come with our hearts full of uh, expectation as we've been singing to this our great God. It's so encouraging to note that uh, we always have something to tell our God. And sometimes we forget that God has something to tell us. And this morning I'm here standing uh, because your elders invited me. And uh, as is always the case, each time I'm invited, I'm given a passage of scripture. I understand the theme for this year is saved to save. Saved to save. That God has graciously saved us. The very God whom we've been singing and exhorting that he reigns. He saved us in order to save him and to save others. One of the songs that we sang uh, was Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Hair of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. That's who we are, those of us present here who are children of God. And soon I'll be talking about what it means to be a child of God. What is involved in becoming a child of God. Because we have a God who reigns. We have a God who is a deliverer. We have a God who is a savior. And we have a God who is full of love. So turn with me to Colossians, which I believe is the epistle uh, you've been going through. And I don't want to repeat what others have preached on, but it will be helpful for me and also for you to appreciate something about this God who reigns, the God who saves his people. The book or the letter to the Colossians is a letter written by a man called Paul, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. This man was not a good guy. He was, I would say, one of those gentlemen you love around town, and it's like the whole city knows that there's a character in town, and you don't mess up with him. That's Paul. But because you have a God who delivers, a God who saves, a God who rescues, a God who reigns, he saved this man. And this man now is writing to encourage, he's writing as well, getting excited of the great work of God. So as he writes this letter to the Colossians, he brings forth what I would call from the onset 
just to help us appreciate the text which I was given to preach from of Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 through to 23. But for today, I'll spend my time, verse 13 and 14. And God willing, next Sunday, we'll look at verse 15 through to 23. And hopefully from these passages of scripture, we'll see and appreciate this God and his son and what God has done for you and for me. Let me just put this into context. But before we do that, let me read the text I would want to spend some time on. Let's turn to Colossians chapter three, chapter 1. We'll read together from verse 13. And I think maybe up to verse 18. Though, of course, my focus would be basically on those two verses. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. And conveyed us into the kingdom of his son. Of his love. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things consist. And he is the head of the body the church, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. That is all things. That in all things he may have the preeminence. Now this is, this is how Paul describes Jesus Christ. This is how Paul describes and states to us what God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice with me before we dive into verse 13 and 14. This is in the context of prayer. Paul is simply praying. He was writing to them. If you turn to chapter 1 there in verse 3. As he writes, Paul says, we give thanks to the God. And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray always for you. And he says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, of your love for the other saints, because of the hope which is laid out for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, 
which has now come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing, bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you, since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Paul is praying and is so excited when he heard that the, the, the believers, or better put it, the people in Colossae have embraced Christ Jesus. Christ has redeemed them. And so in his letter, he prays for certain things. And some of these things that he prays, he says, you guys, when I heard of your faith, and this is the reason why, and this is outside our main theme. This is the reason why people say Paul could not have been the one who planted the church at Colossae, but one of Paul's companions called Epaphras. Because in verse 7, this is what it says, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and Paul is saying, this Epaphras has brought such good news to us. And you quickly notice the Apostle Paul, there in the last chapter of Colossians, he mentions Epaphras and says, Epaphras, in chapter 4 and verse 12, who is one of you, a born servant of Christ, greets you all." laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And, and Paul says, I bear him witness that he has such a great zeal for you people and those who are in Laodicea and those in Heropolis. It is believed that Epaphras, one of Paul's companions, planted this church. And Paul, when he heard the good news, which you can tell from chapter 2, verse 1, Paul is writing to a people, some whom he had never met. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, For I want you to know what great conflict or how I feel within my soul I have for you and for those in Laodicea and especially for many who have not seen my face in flesh but you are children of God. Somebody had done some great work and I've heard and the day we heard that you have received Jesus Christ poise I'm praying in verse 9. It is for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with knowledge of his will, of wisdom and spiritual understanding. Boys praying for them. He heard, these have received Christ Jesus. And he goes on also in his prayer as he encourages them that I also pray that you may work, walk, walk or live or conduct yourselves 
worthy of who you are. And that's what he tells them in verse 10. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing him. Being fruitful in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. This, this is the power of prayer. And it's coming from the heart of somebody who had experienced what it means to be redeemed. And so he goes on to pray. And I pray that you may be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with all joy, giving thanks to the Father. Now, that's very important because that's how I would want to introduce my sermon this morning. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to be partakers of this inheritance. Paul says, it is God the Father. It is God the Father. And he says, this God the Father, he is the one who has qualified you. Who has made you to become a child of God. It is God the Father who has graciously invited you in. It's God the Father who has done it. And so as he writes, he tells them, I want you to be reminded of the great work God has done. He wants to remind them of this Yahweh, the deliverer of this God who delivers. And so what he does now in verse 13 and 14, which is my text, he tells them that we have a God who delivers. We have God who is committed to deliver people. We have God whose business here on earth when he sent his son into this world, it is to deliver people. But we have this God who is so committed to his love, to his love for the world to see it redeemed. My dear brothers and sisters, dear friends, listen. There is nothing good in this world. The world may look to be so nice and pleasurable, so comfortable. There's nothing good in this world to give you true meaning of life, peace, joy, and hope. The world as it looks, as innocent as it is, and pleasurable as it is legitimately behind this world, there is a power. And that power is to destroy humanity. 
it's not as innocent as it looks. And because of what Paul is saying here, it's what I want to draw attention to, that but we have a God who is a deliverer. Read with me verse 13 and 14. And just see how Paul twists the whole thing. He's praying, praying for them, for all these things which he would want them to grow in. And then he says in verse 13, he, referring to God the Father, has delivered us from the power of darkness. And he has conveyed, this is the New King James Version, he has conveyed, or he has transferred, he has transplanted, he has uprooted us into the kingdom of the Son. And my version, very sweet, says, the Son of his love. In whom, now he's referring to Jesus Christ, in whom, that is Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The same molest text in Ephesians, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Brothers, sisters, young people, old people, Christian, non-Christian, I want to be as simple as I can be to present this important subject that our God is a deliverer under four observations. And because I teach at a Bible school called now Evangelical University and some other places, I know how to ask questions, which questions you have answers. And as you answer those questions, I'll be preaching to you and speaking to myself as well. Listen, under those two chapters, verses, I'm sorry, I've got five observations, or five. Dr. Puri, don't say points. Everything is electronic. Five observations. The first observation I want to bring to your attention from that verse. Three, verse 13 and 14. What God has done. Or better put it, what is it that God has done for us? The answer, he has delivered us. Number two, what has God delivered us from? The answer, from the power of what? Darkness. Number three, how? How has he delivered us? What is involved in that deliverance? He has transferred us into the kingdom of what? His son. Number four, how has he delivered us? We read in verse 14, he has redeemed us through the blood of his son. And what is the outcome of all that? You and I have received forgiveness of what? Sin. That's all I want to talk about this morning. Unless, friends, you are very dull. This is all I want you to talk about. How has God delivered us? The God who is said to be the deliverer. So let's notice the first 
observation what God has done. I'm reading from my New King James Version. He has delivered us. Now, as Paul is praying and encouraging this believer, Colossae, he's telling them, remember, you've been delivered. You've been delivered. Now, for the sake of those who are not literate in terms of biblical language, when we speak of delivered, I'm sure the time and age we live in, you've heard of deliverance ministry. Uh, the person went for deliverance and so forth. They keep going for deliverance, for deliverance for six months. Wait a minute. God is the deliverer. The word deliver simply means to rescue, to save or to get you out of a situation or circumstance where you are captive. And so we come to deliver you. And you notice it's he, God, who delivers, not you. You are a captive. And so Paul reminds them that God take, makes the initiative God provides the way. God literally runs after you to deliver you. But not only that, but also to deliver you from today and continuously delivering you until that day when you shall be delivered from this world and the bondage of sin. The Father is the deliverer. He delivers people. The best illustration for you to appreciate that God delivers is what happened in Egypt. You know, these are Sunday school stories, but also there are stories that we know from the Bible. Once upon a time, there was a people called the people of God, uh, a family of a man called Jacob, who had grown his family. He had 12 children. And somehow they found themselves in Egypt because of famine. And in the providence of God, one of his sons called Joseph, because the father loved Joseph very much, and he created some enmity, and so his own brothers wanted to kill him, and so they ended up selling him, and he was there in Egypt. Again, in the providence of God, this young man ascended to, what I would say, power in Egypt. And lo and behold, because of famine, his brothers, his father, moved to Egypt. About 120 people. By the time God came to deliver them, there were between two to six million people. And God sent a deliverer called Moses. They were in bondage in Egypt. They were slaves. Now, for you to appreciate and understand in simple terms that our God is a deliverer, that he has delivered us, that's the picture you should have. The people of God in Egypt were slaves. They were in bondage. They were working for Pharaoh. They were working for the Egyptians. They had no power. They had no freedom. They were in bondage. And of course, how come to my simple application, what God has delivered us from this. 
our God is a deliverer. My dear brothers and sisters, like I did mention in my introduction remarks, this world has the power to keep you in bondage, to be a slave, to be enslaved, to be shackled, to be chained, that you do not do the very things you desire to do. But we have a God who delivers. And the Hebrew name for one who delivers is Jehovah Malat, M-A-L-A-T. Jehovah Malat, which simply means Jehovah who delivers, Jehovah who rescues, Jehovah who saves. He is the deliverer. And that's the first observation. He has delivered us. What has he delivered us from? That's my second observation. Now notice, it's getting deeper now. Because some of the things mentioned there, we don't know. All he says, our God is a deliverer. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Hmm. Power of darkness. What a term. Theological term. Power of darkness. Uh, and of course, those of you who have been Christians long, you have used this phrase, you, you, you have even understood it, uh, and sometimes in your given context. But, but Paul is telling us that there is a power, and that power, it's a power of darkness. Basically, when you see that being used in any passage of scripture, where darkness is used, just know it's contrary to God and to light. Because our God is a God of light. He is basically light himself. So the power of darkness simply refers to the evil spiritual forces. Evil spiritual forces. I told you that this world is not as innocent as it looks. The very good things you rejoice and enjoy could and can be the very shackles which will bound your soul, your life, and destroy. We are speaking of forces of darkness which are present today in this world. And these forces of darkness have their own king with a small K called the devil or Satan. These are demonic forces. Remember Paul is saying, power. The same word you get, dunamis. This power of darkness. It has the power to enslave any man under the sun. Regardless. It's the power of evil. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke of this in Luke 22, 53, that this is a season of the power of darkness. 
My dear friends, this knowledge of the reality that we live in a world that is not as innocent as it looks, there is a power of darkness. No wonder as Christ was instructing his own disciples to pray in Luke, in Luke, Matthew, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from what? From evil. That's a reality. Vamnina, we're not living in a world that is innocent. There are powers, there are principalities. And I've often told my friends, uh, fellow ministers, fellow elders and Christians, when you see a brother or a sister stumble into those things we don't want to talk about, remember, there's a power. And as long as we, you don't run and remain under the shelter and the umbrella of God, who is the deliverer, you will be caught up. And this is the spirit of the age. Let me just show you how this spirit of the age, the power of darkness, looks like. Turn with me to First John and chapter 2. This is, this is the best description of this power of darkness. It is the spirit of the age. It is a rhyme or an area or that where you find the evil one in charge. Do not love the world. He's not speaking of the physical world. No. Or the things in the world. Now he's speaking of the things that are in the world that are physical. When you speak of the world, is that spirit of the age. If anyone loves the world, now he puts the two, the spirit of the age, the things in the world. He says the love of the Father is not him. What is this world? And so he describes it in verse 16. For all that is in the world. The word world there is not just cosmos. The universe, it is the spirit of the age which is under the sway and the power of the evil one, which he simply says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Now, in those three, your life and my life is described. Yes. You, you, you are living because you're in the flesh. You're living because of what you see. You're living because of something good inside you. And Paul says, beware. There is a power of darkness and God has delivered us. Because where, where there is no light, there is darkness. And this darkness represents everything you may think of in the physical in the spiritual or even symbolic there is a power i love it because paul 
is not simply making up or picking words for the sake of picking words. He's describing what God delivers his people from. You've been delivered from the power of darkness. And I want to show you that the way Paul puts the, the, the verse together is simply showing us that there are two powers. There are two kingdoms. Although they are not equal, but one kingdom, which is the power of darkness, has power over your life and my life. It captures your mind. It captures the passions and the lust of the body. It captures that ego in you that makes you think, this is who I am. It's the power. Therefore, it has power to control you. Read with me Acts chapter 26 in the testimony of the man writing. And this is the way he puts it, how God does it. And that this is the agenda of God. In Acts 26, we read verse 17. And there the Apostle Paul, as he gives his personal testimony, he is testifying and saying, uh, King Agrippa, you know, I, I, I'm a character. Uh, not Agrippa, as he speaks to, 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 to this, it is not Agrippa, I'm sorry. While he was occupied in Jerusalem there, and, and he speaks and says, wait a minute, this is who I was. Read with me verse 17 of chapter 26. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I will send you. In verse 18, you hear and see how this deliverance is described. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith. So in that, the Apostle Paul now writes to the church at Colossae, I've experienced this, this is what Christ has done, and this is my message, that your eyes may be opened, that you turn away from darkness, and you turn to light, that you turn away from the power of Satan and you turn to God. Our God is a deliverer. And our God delivers us from the power of darkness. And that deliverance, notice with me in our text, that's my third observation, what is involved in that deliverance. Now, as I was reading, I, I liked it because when I read that, you know, my daughter, she's a lawyer, I said, this is interesting. They, 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 they do, there's conveyance as a subject, a conveyance. Is it conveyance? What's that Conveyance, yes. My version says, and convert us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So what is involved? As God comes to you, you are shackled, you are under the power of sin, you are in, in darkness. He conveys you. He transfers you. He translates you. This is like transferring title 
or property. And what is done it in this name, it's no longer yours. He says, you've been uprooted, transplanted, transferred from the kingdom of darkness in the kingdom of his son. So when God says, I deliver, he doesn't deliver you and let you remain in the kingdom or the power of darkness. He conveys he transfers you. He transplants you. He uproots you into, notice what he transfers you. My Bible says wonderfully, into the kingdom of the son of his love. Here there was power of Satan. There is a new kingdom into which you are transferred. You are converted. You are transplanted. And this is the kingdom of his son. I want to say something here. You know, last week I was in Kenya attending an assembly conference there for an organization called SIM, Saving in Missions. If you know all the Mukinga Hospital, most of those members of staff they are under sign. I sit there as a butcher person. And as I was there, I was talking to this friend of mine who was actually my roommate from Ethiopia. And I said, there's something that we have not fully appreciated. And the power and what God has done. That he has literally, literally moved us from darkness to light. He has moved us from the power of the evil one into the kingdom of his son. And the way he describes the kingdom of his son, it is the kingdom of the son of his love. In other ways, God is saying, if you think of all our human being needs in this world, it is his son. Let me speak to someone here. You know, inside your heart, your soul, there is a throne. There is a throne. And on that throne, there are only two kings who can sit there. The king with a small K, who we are told here, the power of darkness. Or the king with a capital K, who is the son of his love, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because God created you and me in his image, and he breathed the life, the breath of life in you, he has put on each and every individual a desire for him. A desire for God. And unfortunately, because we are under the power of darkness, we seek to put something on the throne. So when you see somebody hooked into drugs, he's seeking something that will satisfy him, which will meet to sit on this on. 
If you see somebody busy pursuing the things of this world to the extent that they have sleepless nights, they are seeking something that should sit on their phone. If you see somebody busy doing all kinds of things, and all kinds of things, there is something inside your soul that you are seeking to satisfy. Because God has created us in his image. And he knows until you find him, you'll be searching and you'll be searching and you'll be searching. This is why. And I want to say it from my heart. When God says he conveys you, he transplants you, he transfers you, into the kingdom you now belong where you're supposed to belong it's a kingdom of love it's a kingdom where Christ rules it's a kingdom where Christ reigns it's a kingdom where Christ comes to embrace you and say Welcome, my daughter, my son. You've been seeking and seeking and looking for me. Friends, we need to know this. Because this is the only way to have life. And how has God delivered us? That's verse 14. How has he done it? We are told there, in whom we have redemption through his blood. The God of love. Listen, listen, listen. When we speak of God of love, you cannot fully understand it. I've not fully understood it because I don't know how to understand it. That the God who is all sufficient, the God who doesn't need anything and anyone to exist, the God who is self-sufficient, the God who created everything, the God who is able to live without you, without the earth, because he lived before without the earth, without human beings. And yet, the love he has for his creation called human beings, for you and for me, it's a love that goes beyond human understanding because it costed him his only begotten son. In other words, you are worth God dying for you. You're not, you're not useless. People say, useless, you are worth God himself. His son died for you. And this is what he's telling us. 
How has he redeemed us? The means of our redemption or, or, or deliverance. He has redeemed us through the blood of his son. So each time, and to help those who enjoy going visiting, those who are busy saying, in Jesus, in the blood of Jesus, in the blood of Jesus, in the blood of Jesus, wait a minute. Whenever you see blood, it's simply referring to the death of Jesus Christ. He shed his blood on the cross. He's simply speaking of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this death is a death of love for you and for me. Can I say something to someone? Listen. A hundred no, a million years from today, a million years from today, when you meet Jesus Christ and you see him, there's something that has remained on his body, something that is indelible. Jesus Christ who always have scars of the nails. Here and there and down there and on his side. And those scars shall and will ever remain permanent to remind you and to remind me of his love. That this is how much I love you. I die. You know, we, we, we talk of love, love, love. I remember um, a friend of mine, I think once upon a time, maybe they were even members here, is it the chapel or here? A man called Moses Sakala. A number of you may know Moses Sakala. So this is, I mean, I can say this because it's something that uh, we joked over. It says, Baka, we may say you love your wife. They had gone for holiday, Botswana. No, trying to go at the game and watch all these animals and not knowing that actually there was a fence there and the lion was coming and their two kids were still very young to Kashana and instead I mean I'm sure maybe it was even assuring the wife that I loved you so very much and the lion came he ran after the temple of five year old chat Kashi behind you. <laughs> Sweetie, baby, I love you. Popcorn, wait a minute. This is the kind of love where you love your enemy. This is the kind of love where you love somebody who shouts and insults you. This is the kind of love where you love somebody who is busy and doing the very good things that you want to do for them. This is a love which we see in the death of the Lord. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. And because there is no other name through whom you and I must be saved. Christ died, and, and the Lord Jesus, I'm sorry, the, the Apostle Paul says, it's in him alone that we have redemption. It's him who died. 
So for you and me, those of us who may not be Christians, I'll be concluding. Listen, if, if you're thinking of, of any form of redemption to be redeemed, look up to Christ. Don't look to any man. Look to Christ. He's the one who shed his blood. He's the one who died in your place. He's the one who suffered pain. He's the one who hung on the cross. He's the one who died for your sins. So how, what is the means through his blood? Let me just read a few verses there just to make it, or to, to put some extra concrete cement. In Hebrews chapter 9, this is how Jesus' death is described there. Because it's only him. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, we read, Not with, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He never brought any other, but his own blood. He entered the most holy of holies once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. It is done. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. Time and again, you can't miss it in the gospel. You can't miss it in the epistles. This is the central message of the Bible. The death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the exhortation of Christ. Everything in the scriptures point to Christ Jesus. And Christ himself said, the prophets and the law all speak about me. Listen how he puts it in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians and verse 20. For you were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Another text, just a few pages on your right. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 23. He, Paul keeps on saying, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. You were bought. You were redeemed through the blood. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18. They even become sweeter because it's Peter now, not Paul writing. And he speaks of the same. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Listen, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your endless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamp without blemish. And without spot. That's the love God has for you. His son. Through his blood. Let me conclude. What then. Is the outcome of all this deliverance. Friends this is not a good note to end. What is the outcome of all this deliverance. Paul says. What you have now received is the forgiveness of your sins. I'm a sinner. I sin even as a Christian. 
I do silly things sometimes. And the only hope I have to continue is to look to Christ. See all those scars that this is how this is how terrible sin is all about. That it took the son to die on the cross. And so you can today go to him and ask for forgiveness. True deliverance has to do with the forgiveness of your sins. When somebody says, I've been redeemed, he simply saying, my sins have been forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. When someone comes jumping, I'm delivered, I'm delivered. We're not talking of being delivered from demons. Delivered from all the shackles which are basically the symptoms of the true bondage which is sin. Deliverance leads to having your sins Forgiven. There is no sweeter thing under the sun than to have your sins forgiven by God. You even know some of you when you offended somebody and you said, I'm sorry, and they come, hug you, embrace you, shake your hand, it's okay, we are forgiven you. You feel relieved. But this is God forgiving you. God taking the initiative as the deliverer. God transferring you. God impressing you. God receiving you through his son that you may receive forgiveness. A few questions and I'll conclude. Are your sins forgiven? Are your sins forgiven? Let me speak to those of us who are not Christians. Are you still an enemy of God? Are you still under the power of darkness? Are you still under the power of the evil forces? There is Christ. Look to him and have your sins forgiven. Brethren, as who are Christians, when you sin, remember, there is one who died for your sins. Quickly rush to him and ask for forgiveness. Do you know what it means to be at peace with God? It's through the forgiveness of your sins. And all you have to do, all I have to do, is to embrace Christ Jesus. Repent of your sins. Tell him, repent of your sins. You know, God is not very far away. God doesn't need special language, English, Greek, whatever. Just tell him. Now, there's no hope. I keep on doing the very things I don't like. I don't love. Tell him. That's all you need to do. And brethren, 
I'm speaking from personal experience. You and I who are Christians, we need not undermine the power of sin. The power of darkness, as Paul puts it. There is evil in this world. I know I'm overshooting now. Just give me two minutes. There is power of sin. And you have no strength to deliver yourself. That's why we have a God who is a deliverer. Look to him. Call upon him. But also, listen. This is why Christ Jesus would instruct his disciples. Pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You and I, and I'm speaking to us who are Christians, we need to constantly come before God with those common temptations and ask the Lord to deliver us. For there is no temptation that is not common to man. But to every temptation, the Lord provides a way. We need to remember we have a deliverer. But remember also, you could be here, you're not a Christian. You are full of fear. God is a deliverer. He will come and embrace you and deliver you from all those manners of fear. And I don't know what could be your current fears and struggles. But also, I can comfortably say, there could be some in here who are feeling hopeless, lonely, depressed. Things are not working out. They're just full of despair and no hope. Look to God, the deliverer. With all your difficulties, look to God, the deliverer. He has delivered us. It's a done deal. From the power of darkness, it has no power over us. And he has translated us, conveyed us, transplanted us, uprooted us, and he has placed us in the kingdom of his son through the blood of his son that you and I may receive forgiveness of sin. May you ask God to forgive you.